You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey, guys, good morning. My name's Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor. For those of you that are new, we're so glad that you're with us here today. We're in a teaching series called Empowered. Let's all say that together, Empowered. So what we're going to see is God's Word unfolded in the life of the early church. We're going to be looking at, in the book of Acts, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Uh, we'll have the, some of the passages on the screen as well. We're in Acts chapter 2. And so the heart behind this series is that, that you can kind of get a glimpse of to see for North Valley, we're a new church, and we're looking at the historical account of Luke taking, recording, and writing down what exactly happened in the life of the new church. Um, so we, since we're a new church, we're preparing and we're walking in the same spirit and the same attitude of the early church in the New Testament. So as, I hope that you found this series to be encouraging and Lord willing, empowering by the spirit's power in your life. So this morning, I want to talk to you about God's message, uh, of hope and you being a messenger of hope as well. Before we get started, I want to talk to you about just the importance of uh, hearing about where we're at with the land campaign. About a year and a half ago, those of you that are new, you might not know this, but a year and a half ago, we set out to... Uh, with a bold strategic initiative to purchase nine acres of land. And through your generosity, rearranging finances, rearranging giving, making uh, an incredible effort uh, that's a bit historic for a church of our size, and by God's grace, in four years, we purchased that land. And so, um, yeah, that's exciting. And so here, here's what happened, though. We purchased that land. We had the goal uh, that we would raise a victory goal to purchase the land. And if we raised enough money further than that, then we would renovate all the property and get on site. Well, God's grace, we hit the victory goal, but we didn't raise quite enough money to renovate everything. But what happened was the church started growing, moving forward, and your giving just kept going and going and going, and it was great, and it's good. Uh, so here's the deal. We anticipated that we would be on the property when we first purchased it. We purchased it in September uh, of last year, and this year we'll come up on our one-year anniversary of owning that property. Uh, the, for, the property used to be a wedding venue. It used to be a live music venue, a great gathering spot for people. And uh, guess what? That's, that's great for the church, right? So we're moving in. We're not demolishing anything. We're going to renovate. But the reality is, is if you've done construction on your house or your home or any other projects around, generally it costs two, it's two things. It costs more money than you thought, and it takes a lot more time than you anticipated. Uh, originally, we set a goal that we would purchase the property and be on site within three years. And then I came to you and I said, hey, look, I think by God's grace, we could get in there in the fall. Specifically, we talked about August. Well, reality is, here's the hard news, is that the city and the permits aren't ready. And so we're not going to be able to get on to site um, on the uh, on August time frame, but I do still hope and we do still plan and we are working with the city that we will be on site in the right time in the fall. So when that is, I don't know. I'd ask that you'd pray for us, pray for the city, um, continue to give, uh, continue to serve, and ministry is not going to slow down at North Valley. The church is continuing to grow. The church is continuing to share and show the love of Christ. We just sent off a mission team to the Dominican Republic last week or uh, yesterday. My wife is gone, so we're, I'm going to have a party at my house. Uh, 
So uh, not not that she doesn't like parties, but you know she's 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 the nervous person in when hosting times. You know, I'm like, hey, I've already got it lined up. If somebody busts the drywall, we'll just invite somebody over to patch it up. We're good. You know, estimated cost of fun, you know, so that's how we're going to do it. Uh, you're invited, all of you, to my house later this afternoon, so there you go. Uh, we do that while we're a small church. Later, when it gets too big, we're not going to do that, okay? So come now. Uh, uh, so, so here's the deal. We will move on site, I believe, before Christmas. We might move in there in October. It might be November. We're out of, we don't control this thing, but God's plans are bigger than our plans, greater than our plans, and still... We're going to be ahead of schedule almost two years from our original goal. So let's celebrate that. Here's what you do need to expect. We're going to two services in this movie theater in August. August, I think it's 21st, is when we're going to start into uh, two services. We're going to do a 9, and we're going to do a 1030. Here's why. Number one, because our church people are, have been serving incredibly, and we have a high commitment on our teachers with North Valley kids. They serve twice a month, not once a month. They've been doing that for almost four years. So if, if there's 52 Sundays in a year and they're serving twice, they're not in church half the time. And so in the service, in the worship service, so we're going to two service, encouraging everybody to serve a service, attend a service, 9 and 1030. That'll start August 21st. And then what we'll do, the second reason why we're doing that is we want to reach more people for Jesus Christ. We want to help gather more people to worship Jesus. Uh, So providing those service options will enable us to do two things. Number one, it's going to help us grow as a church spiritually. That our volunteers can serve on on a Sunday morning and then turn around and join in the main congregation and the gathering of believers to encourage and edify, build one another up, hear God's word, worship together, all of that. And then second reason is we want to just gather more people for Jesus. We want to gather more people from the North Valley to help them share, to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's what's happening August 21st. We're going to do that, and then we're going to ramp up fall, and we're going to have a big, awesome fall kickoff. And strategically, we're doing stuff a little bit different this year. We're not, you're going to see billboards go up and all that. We just have some awesome credits worked out with the billboard company on our property. And so that's going to go out. But we're really going to rely on you to make the personal invites on September 9-11. That's fall kickoff. Fall kickoff, let's all say 9-11. That's September on the September 11th on a Sunday. And uh, we're going to have a real special time. I'll tell you about that more in the time to come. So let's do this. Let's go ahead. We're in the book of Acts. I want to uh, go ahead and get started in the word. But before we do, let's just, let me pray and thank the Lord for what he is doing at North Valley. Amen. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in North Valley. Thank you, God, that we have nine acres of land. Thank you, God, that it's moving forward. Works are getting done, Lord, and we're at a point where we're out of control, and we need you to help the city move things along according to your divine timetables and schedules, and we trust in that. We're looking forward to getting onto that property, Lord. We pray that it be this fall, that we would be on the property this fall, worshiping together at our new permanent home. And Lord, in the meantime, we will be faithful to gather to worship Jesus, grow together in your family, and to go out and to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. To Christ be the glory in the North Valley and beyond. Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and and, uh, turn. We're in Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, Acts chapter 2, this is uh, Peter's 
explanation as to what in the world happened when the Spirit of God poured out. If you were here last week, we talked about the Spirit of God poured out, long-awaited prophecy was being fulfilled on the early church to empower the believers to go out and to share the love of Christ throughout the whole world. And that's exactly what happened. The Spirit of God came down on the believers gathered there in Jerusalem, and they, they couldn't explain it. Some people just said it was so crazy that it was like a, a tornado blew through the house. And then it was described as Peter as the tongues of fire rested upon people's heads. And then somebody stood up and started speaking in other tongues. It was crazy. And then people, the crowd stood around, and they said, are these guys drunk? Like, what's going on? These guys look like they're wasted or what's going on? And then today what we're going to see is God raises up a messenger of hope to help everybody understand what in the world took place. And so Peter's going to share with us, we're going to see a powerful message from Peter. And I want you to do this. I want you to orient your mind to think, I'm going to be like Peter. We're going to follow Peter's example in this message. This is the first message there's, uh, this is the first message that Luke records. Well, there's five other uh, key uh, passages where we see these preaching messages come forward in the book of Acts. This is a really, really, really great one, and I think you, you'll be really encouraged. Peter is the messenger of hope. Peter, just 50 days before this time, he had denied Jesus Christ before he went to the cross. He had denied him and said, I don't even know the guy because when things started going crazy, Peter just kind of bailed. But then Jesus, after his death and his resurrection, he reappears to Peter and he fills him back up with hope and says, I'm not done with you, even though you've denied me. I've still got work in your life to do, and you're going to be the leader in the local church, this thing I call the church. And so Peter is going to stand up today. You're going to see him be separated from the crowd. He's going to be standing up and he's going to come with a bold ferocity to proclaim about the mighty works of Jesus. So I want you to come with me on this journey as we look at the life of Peter standing up and preaching and realize this is that you are a messenger of hope too. God's got a message of hope. We're going to see that. God's got messengers of hope and you need to be that. Two kinds of people we can be in life. We can be a hope giver or a hope taker. You can crush people's hopes by the words that you say. What builds the church, what builds a community is people that carry this message of hope and everywhere they go, they speak hope, they speak life, they say things like, nothing's impossible with God. You're going through a, a tragic situation of loss or hardship. The messenger of hope comes along and says these kind of words, look, I've seen the power of God work in my own life. Nothing's impossible with God. The hope taker turns around and says, man, you're really going through a lame time. Uh, that's just terrible. End of conversation. We're going to see Peter's a, a messenger of hope. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read a portion of it, and then we're going to get to work. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 14. We're going to go quite a ways. I'm going to read a portion of the text so that you get a gist as to what's going on. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth of below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Peter's going to help everybody understand he's bringing a message of hope. He's bringing a message of hope. I want to tell you something. Um, years ago when I was in uh, first year of college, I was just a brand new Christian. Walked out of the party life and um, became a Christian. Saw all my friends transformed by Jesus. Freaked me out for a while, but I realized this stuff was real. This guy named Jesus is real. Come to faith in Christ my senior summer. I made a deal with God. I said, if you'll help me survive Cancun, Mexico, I was the chief organizer of this massive party, hundreds of people. That was it. I was a planner for debauchery. There you go. So some of you that don't know me, you're like, this guy's dangerous. No, it was good. So, so here's the deal. Get saved. Go to college. I'm in college. I'm sitting in psychology class. The professor goes around and he starts talking about he starts talking about the facts of evolution and hands out a little sheet like I handed you, just some kind of homemade thing. Didn't look right. Right? So it hands out this little sheet, passes out, hundreds of kids are around. I'm a born-again Christian. I've studied world religion. I, I'm I'm banking on the reality that Jesus really was the son of God, that he really lived a historical life, that he really did perform miracles, that he really was crucified, the Bible says, for our sins. Something happened to me. Forgiveness I felt for the very first time. The hole in my heart was filled, and I believed in Jesus. And I'm sitting here, University of Arkansas, in Little Rock, Trojans, went to the basketball. They did good this year, first time ever. So I'm sitting there in college campus. All these guys are there. They pass out the facts of evolution, and it goes on to say, basically, there is, there is no God. It's just a big myth. And I'm sitting there, and I'm welling up like I'm a preacher in the making, right? I'm a preacher in the making. God's got a call on my life. I'm sitting there in the college auditorium room, and this professor's just spouting out all this stuff about how Christianity is a hoax and that all this other stuff. And I could tell this guy was angry. Generally, people that follow the atheist trail are angry people at God because something happened. So he goes on and he starts talking. And I wait till the very last second because I didn't want to interrupt the class. But I thought this is a lie because it's not printed in textbooks as the facts of evolution. Evolution's a theory. It's not a fact. And I feel at, at least on some academic level, I could stand up and say something. Not from a religious perspective. So I'm sitting there in the room, and I see these young people, and they have no hope. They're losing hope. Hope is like evaporating from the room. And the professor is just speaking, and it's like they're looking at each other like, I never knew this was true. I never knew this was a fact that God didn't create us, that we we're just some cosmic explosion of the Big Bang. And they're looking at each other, and I just saw the clock ticking, and I just said, you know what? One minute into class ringing and the bell ringing, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going I'm to dispute this guy. 
So I wait, and I'm praying, I'm shaking, I'm kind of just freaking out in my seat. And then one minute comes, and I just raise my hand. He doesn't want to answer. I raise my hand. He doesn't want to answer. So I just say, excuse me. The whole class turns around. And I said, professor, I've been raising my hand. You ignored me. You passed out a sheet called The Facts of Evolution. Last time I checked in the book, it said theories of evolution. There's a difference between fact and theory. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's right, come on. And then I, 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 said, I said, is there a reason why you didn't say that? And he said, what are you, a Christian? And I said, yes, I am a Christian. He goes, that figures. And the bell rings. So I walk up to the professor after class, and I'm like nervous. And this guy was angry, fuming. Kids are pouring out. People are walking by. I'm glad you said that, dude. Good job. Thanks for sticking up for us. I'm like, that's right, baby. So, so, baby is gender neutral, okay? So, Leslie's gone, but no. So, so here's the deal. So I'm face to face with a professor. This guy goes, what's your problem? How could you interrupt me like that? Why would you do that? And I said, why would you turn out to just brainwash these kids to say it's a fact? And even academics won't even affirm that. There is this thing called intelligent design that you failed to mention. And he just said, get out of my class. And I said, no. And then he goes, what's your problem, kid? And I'm like, man, his breath stank so bad. And then he just went off on me for like five minutes. But I just thought in my head, this guy needs a Tic Tac. (laughs) So it ruined it. His breath ruined. I've lost everything he said. Here's the point. You're like, get to it, Ryan. We got a lot of text to cover. But here's the point is... God welled up in me this incredible conviction that I had to be a messenger of hope that day. So many times it's in the moments. God's going to raise you up. He wants you to speak a message of hope. He wants you to share about who he is and what he's about. He wants you to dispel disbelief. He wants you to enter into hard conversations and speak up and stand out. Look what we see in the life of Peter. Number one, Peter stands up and he speaks out. Verse 14, it says, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice. So he got loud, he raised his voice, and he addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is really important. Many of you don't believe in Jesus. Many of you don't understand what just happened. Many of you don't understand at all. But Peter, he was once afraid, and now he's turned by being empowered by the Spirit to be incredibly bold. If you're going to stand up and speak out and be a messenger of hope, if you're going to build people up, you've got to be willing to be bold. Be uncomfortable. Say things that maybe people don't want to hear at times. Be bold. Peter was bold. Be clear. Even if you're unsure at times, and God's placed you in a position where you've got coworkers, you've got neighbors, you've got family members, and because you go to church, because you call yourself a Christian, something automatically, it's like an invisible sign to you, but to everybody else, it's clear. It says, I know about Jesus, and I know about hope. 
In the church, if we fail to be hope givers and simply hope takers, the world will be lost. We're going to fail and forfeit the mission. God is the greatest messenger of hope, and he calls upon his church to be a message of hope too. you got to stand up and be willing to speak out. Look what he says. He's clear, verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. Many people thought these guys were drunk. Peter's just going to keep it real. These guys aren't drunk. Some of them were laughing. And he says, it's only the third hour of the day. In other words, people around here just getting started drinking. They're, I mean, they're not, it's like they're just getting started drinking. They don't drink till later. Jewish custom was to drink later in the afternoon, to have wine with the meal. The third hour of the day, uh, sun, the, the, the calendar for the Jewish calendar starts at sunrise. It was the third hour of daylight in the day, and Peter is clarifying. Number two, if we're going to be a messenger of hope, follow in the footsteps of Peter, preach it like Peter, give a message of hope like Peter did, is we need to be like Peter to share how God's word applies to the situation. Peter does a couple things we're going to see. He reads the Old Testament. He knows God's word. He sees how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. He sees events that were promised and prophesied about thousands of years before taking place and being fulfilled. God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. And Peter sees that. He reads the Old Testament. He sees how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. And then he gives reference to Scripture. Two things we're going to see with Peter. He's going to explain how things are presently being fulfilled. Meaning prophets of old. Joel was the prophet who hundreds of years before the time of Christ proclaims that the Spirit of God is going to come upon the church in mighty ways and do miraculous signs and wonders. Look what it says in verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. What is Peter doing? He's referencing the Old Testament. He's saying this is what's being fulfilled in the new era. He's giving reference to Scripture. He says, and in the last days, the last days are the days that come after Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit has poured forth its power of God upon his people. And he says, and in the last days it shall be God declares that I'll pour out. That's like a torrential downpour. In Phoenix, we get monsoons, and man, we beg for them and pray for them. When it rains, my kids like run out in the streets. You know, it's like you've never seen rain. They're like, oh, <laughs> And then a haboob just teases you, but a monsoon, it's like a pour down. And that's what that word means. That God's spirit has poured out my, my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. That's what was happening. Presently being fulfilled. Now what's going to happen next is something that uh, will be fulfilled in the future that has not yet come. Verse 19, Peter's going to give reference again to the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it's a time frame before Jesus Christ returns, restores all things together for his glory and his purposes. And Peter says, with the spirit of God pouring out, that just happened. But he's going to turn a corner in Joel, and this has not yet happened, verse 19, and, we will, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The, sh the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord. The reference of the day of the Lord is when Jesus Christ returns. When you see the advertisements for the guys advertising, it's the end times and here's the date and here's the time. Don't listen. Jesus said, hey, only I know the day and the hour. We can't predict that. But there are some signs in which we watch for. And it's interesting to me that this, this blood moon, we have those. It's a, it's a real um, thing. In Phoenix, we've had blood moons. It's where the sun literally turns red. And, and what Peter is saying is that there is a day and a time where it'll be like this apocalyptic experience for all the world. And we get fascinated with movies like War of the Worlds, the end times stuff. And Peter says, that's going to happen. The day's not yet, though. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to share how God's word applies to the situation in every context that we're in. When you see what happens a lot of times, if you're praying for people that need help or need hope, and you're praying for them, what happens is you'll read in your Bible one morning, you'll be sitting there reading in God's Word, and you just prayed for somebody, and then guess what's going to happen is you're going to meet that person somewhere, somehow, and then they're going to tell you, hey, this is going on in my life, and guess what Scripture just really was fitting for them to hear? The one you just studied, the one you just looked at, the one you just came to church and you heard. And then you take the opportunity and go, man, let me tell you something. Here's how God's working. I just read that passage. I see how it applies in your life. Peter was faithful to read the Old Testament, see how it's fulfilled in the New Testament, and give reference to it. He shared how God's word applied to the situation. If we're going to be messengers of hope, we've got to do the same. Number three, if we're going to become a messenger of hope, we need to say what people need, not what they want. Let's say that together. We need to say what people need, not what they want. Needs and wants are totally different, right? What we want is not always what we need. Peter's going to say what people need. We're going to see that. He says this, verse 22. Peter says uh, what people need to hear. He proves that Jesus is real. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. Jesus was crucified according to predictions of prophecy. He was buried according to prophecy. He raised again, and he ascended into the hands of the Father. And not only that, but even in his life, he performed many miracles. So these mighty works refer to Christ and wonders. The wonders is the response of those mighty works. It's the result of those mighty works and signs these are things that are fulfilled in Scripture like Old Testament prophecies and predictions, like things that happen in nature, things that happen with people. He says that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Peter does something that I think we all need to do if we're going to be messengers of hope. He finds common ground. If we're going to be a messenger of hope, we need to share about what you both know. When you talk to people about life and about trying to give them hope. You ask him a question, how's it working for you? And they say, man, I'm hurting, I'm going through a hard time. You relate to them. But then you say to them, well, do you remember the, the guy that we used to hang out with or the friend that we used to hang out with? Yeah, I do. 
or they've, they've been a part of a church, or they've been a part of this new faith experience where they're reading in God's word and it's, it's blessing their life. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I have. Peter does something. He identifies with his audience and he says, look at the tail end of verse 22. He says, God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He identifies with what they do know. What they do know is that Jesus really did exist. What they do know, there's about 6,000 Pharisees in Jerusalem at this time, and we're going to see about half of them are going to come to faith in Christ, and they are questioning who Jesus is. Peter shares a message of hope by identifying with them by what they do know. What they do know is they've seen Jesus work. They do know that they've seen some good things. You and I both know when you're talking to people that don't know Christ, you need to identify with what you both do know. That life is hard. And then you tell them what God's word says. God's word says that he doesn't say you're going to escape. He says he'll give you the power to endure. You identify with what you both know. Peter says it like it is. Verse 23, this Jesus, now he's digging in. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified, you killed him by the hands of lawless men. Peter does two things. He shares how God plans things, and he shares about the part that they have in it. If you're going to be a messenger of hope, you need to share about God's plans. They're not like our plans. That's incredibly important to be a messenger of hope. The way God works things is not the way we want to work things sometimes. He does the same things. He gives us what we need, not what we want. God's timetables are not our timetables. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And what Peter says here is he says, hey, even though you guys crucified him, God was working it to his definite plan that he would serve as a savior for all mankind. Secondly, we need to share about our part in the problem. Peter, I can imagine with boldness, he was maybe there at a distance, seeing Jesus being bound up. And he sees many of the Jewish people. It wasn't just Jews that had Jesus crucified. It was unbelievers too. Rome had a part in it, right? It was Roman law. Pilate definitely had a part in it. Herod had a part in it. It was the high priest in Israel. So it was Jews and Gentiles all sorts of people had a part in crucifying Jesus. But he points at him and says, you crucified him. What I love about Peter is that he is not afraid to say what happened. See, if we're going to be messengers of hope, we got to deal with the hurt. Sometimes it's like a wound. Sin infects into our lives, and it's hurting, and it's festering. And like a good parent, if your kid goes out and gets hurt and tears up their knee you're going to clean the wound, soothe the wound, patch the wound. A bad parent is going to ignore it and maybe throw a Band-Aid on it and say, roll with it, kid. And then that wound festers and infects. What Peter's doing here, he's going, I'm going to rip this Band-Aid right off. You crucified him. See, you and me are part of that. You and I are sins. We've sinned. There's 10 commandments. 
And, and at, w- at one point or another, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou, not, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus clarified adultery is just lusting after another person. Lying. How, how, how many days do you go without lying with motive or deed? Like my wife's like, did you take out the trash? And I'm like, in the process of it, yeah, yeah. I'm on my way. Or whatever it may be the case, we fall short every time. And Peter points the finger. And later, he's going to write with clarity. Look what it says in 1 Peter 2.24. He clarifies it. He says, talking about Jesus, he said, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. See, Jesus went to the cross according to the definite plan. But it's your sin and my sin that put him there. We can't read this thing just like a history book and go, the Jews did it. Jews did it. Or even Rome did it. No, you did it. I did it. So what bridges the gap between God and man is Jesus. What bridges the gap and creates the solution to the problem is Jesus on the cross. Peter says... Jesus personally carried our sins. So when he's going to the cross, he's not doing it just for the Jews that sinned against him. He's not doing it for the people that yelled out and slandered or mocked him. He's doing it for all times. The Bible says that Christ was crucified. He paid the price once for all. To all that who would believe in him, to all who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. As a messenger of hope, sometimes you're going to have to rip off the band-aid you got to give people real solutions. And the solution is not harder work on their own life. The solution in their life is Christ. It's the power of Christ. Being empowered and changed by the power of Christ. Number four. Peter would help them hold on to hope. See, sometimes you need to have hard conversations. And you need to stand up and you need to speak out and call sin, sin. Don't just ignore it all the time. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, talked about he would, wouldn't go an hour without confessing sin. Here's my, my bet. is None of us really do. Sin is doing anything contrary to God's moral law in thought, in motive, or deed. At any level. But Peter doesn't leave him there. Peter gives him hope. Verse, verse 24. Peter helps him hold on to hope. He says, God raised him up. He highlights God. Loosing the pangs, that's the pain of death, the suffering of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he's highlighting God, that even though there was a crucifixion and even though there was a death, there would be a resurrection. Here's the point, nothing's impossible for God. Peter's highlighting that. Peter's kind of telling him, telling them because they would have known. They probably would have said to Peter, you're the guy that denied him. How? And Peter's reminding them, but you remember, you remember. You saw it yourself. Peter highlights nothing's impossible for God. And I'm betting as he said that, was he not even thinking of his own life? I'm the denier. I'm the one who blew it. I'm the one who ran away. 
And here I am standing and preaching and telling you, I know nothing's impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. When there's death, there can be life. When there's divorce, there can be remarriage. When there's hurt, there can be healing. When there's loss, there can be gain. When there's emptiness, there can be filling. When there's stress, there can be peace. Nothing is impossible for God. Jesus' death, his resurrection was a miracle. Nothing is impossible for God. And Peter makes that point. He helps them hold on to hope. When you're out there sharing hope, help people hold on. It says this, verse 25, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaking, shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. What Peter does here is he, he starts quoting from the Psalms and he's going to call David a prophet. And David's recounting his own personal experience with God, how God's been his hope, how God's been his healer, how God's been his friend. In verse 27, David continues on. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You'll make me full of gladness and with your presence. The reason why Peter's doing that is because it's a Jewish audience and the Jewish audience would have loved to hear from the Psalms. And so he's telling them with their own literature, their own history, hey, this guy David, King David of Jerusalem, the guy that's dead long and gone, he was, he was professing about the hope that he had in God. But then Peter does something crazy cool. He takes it and he's going to make it a, a Christocentric understanding that he wasn't just talking about his relationship to God, but he's actually talking about Christ. David is a prophet. He's sharing about Jesus, how Jesus wouldn't face death, how Jesus would be alive, how Jesus would sit at the right hand of the Father. So here's, here's number five. And the point is, Peter does this. He keeps it Christ-centered, not man-centered. To help people grasp the message of hope, Peter's going to clarify, even the Old Testament scriptures are pointing towards Christ. The whole book, the whole Bible, Jesus is the central theme and the hero. Verse 29, he says, brothers, he's clarifying, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is still with us today. David would have been like a hero of the faith for the Jewish believer. And, David, and, and, and Peter's giving reference to him and saying, we even know where his tomb's at. Look what he says, verse 30. Being therefore a prophet, he's calling David now a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, Jesus was foretold and prophesied about that he would be a literal king. Jesus Christ actually has a historical, physical lineage of a rightful king in Jerusalem to this very day. And in the book of Matthew, in the very beginning, it goes through this long genealogy. And the Jews would have known that. And he says this, he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Look at verse 31. For he foresaw, that's David, for he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Peter's saying that David 
understood in some way, shape, or manner, or form, whether fully, knowingly, or not, that he's forecasting, he's foretelling, he's predicting, he's prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Here's the point. He Remember the prophets. Remember the prophets. Everything points towards Christ. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. Peter's reminding them of the people. Don't you remember? Jesus was an incredible witness to the resurrection. We, we, were, we were a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise. Everybody say, the promise. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out like a torrential downpouring of this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter's reminding them, hey, this whole thing's centered around Christ. Remember the promise, the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, for God, for David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, David said, he, uh, uh, Peter's going to clarify. He's like this saying, like the father, the heavenly father said to the son, he's taking David's scripture and he's clarifying with new revelation inspired by God to clarify that even the prophets of old even the psalmist was forecasting and foretelling about Christ so the point is remember the position that Christ is seated at the right hand of the father number six here we go you need to speak the truth even when it hurts that's exactly what Peter did verse 36 let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. The term Lord is a reference to a fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Let's say that together. They were cut to the heart. That means that there was incredible pain and recognition for the very first time that they had a part in the crucifixion. That Jesus really was Lord. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So there's a turning moment. Peter speaks the truth even when it hurts. Look what he says, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is something that every single believer needs to do on an ongoing basis. Specifically here, Peter points out, if you want to receive salvation, your, your genuine faith will lead you to a genuine repentance. What is repentance? Three things. Repentance is about confession. It's, not a, it's about confessing when you go wrong. You confess to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not being a messenger of hope. Forgive me for hurting this person and then confessing to the person that you hurt. Repentance is about contrition. It's a heart that hurts. They were cut to the what? Cut to the heart. And repentance is about change. You're not going to get your breakthrough. You're not going to move forward out of a destructive and dangerous habit without godly repentance. Verse 39. For the promise is for you, Let's say that together. For the promises for you and your children and all who are far off. The promises for everyone. 
whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter would have gone on for a very long time. Chances are they were in a large Jewish mansion next to the temple. And it says, look what it says in verse 41. Peter's going to share the results of what just happened, of living by God's word. So they received his word, and they were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were baptized, and 3,000 people believed. How would that have happened? It would have happened because what they would have done is they would have exited the house and they would have gone down towards the temple. And in the temple, there was these large, huge pools. They would have been baptizing people, believing in Jesus. Baptism is a public sign, just like this wedding ring that I wear. It's a sign and a testimony that I'm a married man. Baptism is that public sign in that image that says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. If we're going to share a message of hope, we need to share the result of living by God's word. You tell people, this is what God's doing in my life. Being a witness is simply sharing what you've seen God do. That's what you say. So here's what I want to do. Share what you've seen God do. I want to encourage the band to come up, and we're going to take a minute before communion. And here's what we're going to do today is I want to encourage you to take a moment just to confess to the Lord about your need to be a messenger of hope. God loves you, cares for you, and wants to use you. This whole series called Empowered is for you to understand how valuable of a role that you play in God's economy, in God's kingdom. And so today, I want to encourage you to take a minute before communion to think about a a friend or a family member or a coworker, or a neighbor that God's placed on your heart, and you're to be that messenger of hope. And I want you to go to the Lord, and I want you to just say to him, Lord, I confess, when I should have been a hope giver, I was a hope taker. I've said things that have hurt people, not build them up. Help me to walk away from here to be a better messenger of hope to my friends, to my family, to those that are far off from God. You guys, the church... You are the hope of the world. Through Christ, your message is Christ's message. And so I want to encourage you in this time of communion that we take today, it's a time for all believers to remember what Christ has done. He's the greatest hope giver. Amen? He's the greatest hope giver, and he wants you to be his messenger of hope to your kid, to your spouse, to your workers, to your neighbors. You build with your words. You bless with your words. You say what needs to be said, but you're the messenger of hope. And in a moment, you can bring hope and healing because the power of Christ is at work. And you do that. You say those things, and people find hope in a moment. Not in a lifetime. They find it in the moments when somebody speaks a word of hope, demonstrates hope. And so go and be that hope. But before you do, you've got to tell the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I want to change. I want to be more of a hope giver and not a hope taker. So communion's going to come around. Go ahead and guys pass it out. And then 
take the time, listen to the song, hear the song, think about that person that God's placed in your life, that you're to be a message of hope to them. And then pray and ask the Lord, say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you strengthen me? I confess I need to be a messenger of hope. I need to be a messenger of hope. I want to be that hope today, this week. And then in a moment, Ian and the team are going to tell us when to take communion and we'll close out the service together. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.